This is the 76th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me, as always, are my dear co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, everybody. Hello, dear friends. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found wherever we release on the Top Decked app. In this episode, we will, as usual, talk about our exploits in Paper Legacy at our local game store, the beating heart of Legacy in Stockholm. After that, we will dust off the ceremonial robes of the Basic Land Connoisseur panel and talk about the latest rave in Legacy circles. But Paper Legacy first, Robin, you have done fairly well for yourself lately. Am I right? Right. I skipped the fairest of fair Nyadept decks and brought my former darling 8-cast to the local game store. That deck is as its best when no one has been playing it for a while. And this was the time for that. So one of the reasons that I brought 8-cast to the local game store was that I have ordered Erayu Soratami Ascendant. Three copies, but I did only find place for two in the list. So this is a card, it's a creature, legendary creature, Moonfolk Monk, it's a 1-1, and it has flying, and whenever the fourth spell of a turn is played, flip Arayos Horatami Ascendant. And when it's flipped, it's Arayos Essence, legendary enchantment, counter the first spell by each opponent each turn. So two things to note. Oh man, are we, are we gonna hear some good flip stories? <laughs> but maybe no spoilers yet. No spoilers yet, but like... The the cool thing about this is it, it it's not your fourth spell, so it it's a fourth spell. Uh-huh. So you can do nasty things like play this, play something like un- uninteresting, and then you play a banger that they must counter. And if they counter, you can flip it. It doesn't counter that specific spell because it hasn't flipped yet when it triggered on the stack. But it's like a way to bait <laughs> bait out the flip, so to say. Another cool thing is that it counters the first spell on both your turn and your opponent's turn. So it basically shuts down counter magic from the opponent. That is super nasty. One of my favorite, uh, like, Ryo tricks is you playing your super good threat first, mm. like a Kappa Cannoneer or something like that, and they force that, and then you play a Ryo and a Bobble. Right. That's a nice way, way to uh, as well. Uh, take advantage of your opponent's spell. But, like, I was goldfishing a bit with this card beforehand, and it's really easy to flip by yourself. <laughs> like, you play your land... You play a mox. I mean, you play your land a seat, and then you play a mox and a bauble, and then you have two mana, and you play a rayo, and then you play another bauble, sure, and sure. it's flipped. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, the flip cards have always been sort of grade one out of ten in the dexterity paper department because they are flipped for your opponent when you put them on the board, and it just becomes eternally confusing. Like, yeah, it's super confusing. They should really reprint them as two-sided cards, as Delver, for instance. Yeah, with one card on one side and the other on the other side. I mean, everybody's playing with sleeves anyway, right? So, yeah, I guess maybe this was at the time where this was the most creative way to flip a card. Mm. They have been playing around with that, but this is like one of the more atrocious things. Like you said, like your opponent reads the flipped card when it's just normal in play. I don't know, it's confusing. So let me go through the list a little bit quickly because it's not easy to find those spots in 8 cards. It's a really stacked list. So the creature package is 2 Arayo, 
and four Emery Lurker of Lock, three Psy Master Thopterist, three Kappa Canarier, and three Thought Monitor. So it's not really eight cost, right? It's seven cost. Then you have Chalice of the Void, four, four Lotus Petal, four Mishus Bauble, four Ursus Bauble, four Mox Opal, four Force of Will, four Thought Cost, and one Shadow Spear. So that's the only one drop in the list. And those are my cuts. Like ordinary lists are either playing either Spell Bomb, Soul Guide Lantern, something like that. Maybe Pithing Needle in the main. Then the land, land package is 16 lands, <laughs> 4 Ancient Tomb, 2 Island, 2 Ottawara Soaring City, 4 Seat of the Synod, and 4 Ursa Saga. And like the sideboard, I did not really configure that. <laughs> it was a quite unupdated sideboard for another meta. But uh, 2 Metallic Rebuke, 2 Force of Negation, 2 Dismember, 2 Winter Orb, 2 Brazen Borrower, Torpor Orb, Pithing Needle, Graftigger's Cage, Edith's Bell Bomb, and Tormund's Crypt. Those were the yeah, it's good. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Game number one. I faced up against Death's Shadow, which is making a comeback, it seems. It was quite an interesting game because he was have a really aggressive hand with three shadows in play at some point. And I have a side to make blockers for him. I keep making uh, artifact drops and making tokens that can jump. But in the final turn, I have Kappa, Sai, and the Thopter. And he swings for with all the three. And I debate if I should, like, block one, but then I might die to a four life loss. And I know that he plays that removal spell, right? Snuff out that costs four life to play for free. And I have lethal on board on my kappa if I should draw an artifact. So, like, if if, if I don't attack with Sai, I'm sure that my attack is lethal. But if I don't block with Sai, his attack could be lethal if he has some instant speed life loss. But I take my chances and block playing it safe and luckily I rip a bauble to make lethal. And he shows his hand and he has snuff out. And he couldn't snuff out the big uh, turtle of course because it has ward 4. So that was pretty cool. Game 2, he plays land ponder. I play this seat petal chalice. He dazes. Then he wastes my seat I rip Tomb and play a second chalice. He forces, I force back, and after that he doesn't do anything more meaningful in that match. Just like <laughs> so we like... do it up. <laughs> chalice of the Void. Oh, Chalice of the Void. I-, I love it how Chalice of the Void has sort of really gone in and out of fashion. Like, it's either a super good card that sees everywhere play, or it's just like you can find them for cheap. Yeah. And it seems to be going like... I, I can't think of any other card that goes in circles as much as Chalice of the Void. I mean, right now, it's of course, it's a super chase card. You can't find copies anywhere for sort of any resemblance to a reasonable price. I think about a year ago, like, the card was just dead. Yeah. Yeah, Oko was one hell of a card. <laughs> you want to play Chalice? It's an elk. <laughs> right, and I think it was sort of almost forgotten after the Oko ban. It didn't really come back even though Oko was gone. I'm not sure why, but... Yeah, like, some people say that, you know, it doesn't hurt Delver enough, but it definitely hurts Delver enough. (laughs) That's my two cents on the subject. Yeah, like, in the right shell, it does. Yeah, Yeah, like, almost in any shell. Like, they do have ways to still kill you, but the best part of their deck is gone, which is, like, the sheep cantrips and the sheep creatures. Yeah, I guess if you play, like, a, a, a deck that is super susceptible to wasteland and days so you only play clunky cards and you play a chalice and then slam your clunky cards you might just lose to a delver and then you need to be a bit more on the board but like i almost never care about days with eight costs because i always have like a petal that is only there for metalcraft and days insurance yeah it's <laughs> so true it's nasty 
It's nasty. Like Lotus Pet, such a good card. Match number two, also against Death Shadow. Wow. Yeah, that's how it is Death nowadays. Death Week in Stockholm. <laughs> game one is a little bit of a non-game. I play a Chalice. I flip an Arayo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> when man. I play a Kappa, he forces it. And I'm like, I for... Wait! <laughs> and points to Arayo. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. At some point, you just gotta concede, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but it's also such such a, a bad thing if you like manage to flip a Ryo and then you forget about the trigger. I love it how you char- characterize this sort of as a non-game. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> what's a non-game in your book? <laughs> I really want to know. Well, the, all all three games actually against Shadow were non-games because in game two I keep a sketchy hand. It has no blue mana, but it has three baubles to redraw. And if I draw a blue mana, it is golden. But I don't draw a blue mana and I just die. Then game three, turn one chalice. He forces. No, he doesn't force. It sticks. Turn three, I play a second chalice. Just about the time when he's about to theft my my first chalice and then he doesn't have any out to both chalices and he dies with a bunch of shadows in his hand so chalice coming on strong against uh, death's shadow and uh, in the third matchup i'm up against infect and now i get this beautiful hand that flips awry on turn one and i'm on the play And that is like the only thing that is meaningful that happens in this game. Well. Is it like uh, game one also? <laughs> it's game one. I flip Arayo and he plays like Trop, Hierarch, points to Arayo. And he's like, this yeah. game. Like, yeah, that this ink moth is going to have to go really, really far. <laughs> First pump <laughs> is countered. every spell that he wants to resolve he has to like ditch a ponder or something other first and like that that deck has no card draw so it has no way to recoup it was really rough like post board he's like oh i got this i just need to veil first and then he plays veil and you're like counter veil (laughs) (laughs) right yeah so he like has to play his spell and then in response to the trigger veil that works right yeah that's that that should work that's what that's what you have chalice for exactly like you have chalice so it's not yeah. gonna work <laughs> okay so in game two he starts with an elf and i go emery then he plays a noble hierarch and attacks with exalted i take the damage or more the the poison he doesn't pump so i live another turn and now i play monitor and a few artifacts and from there on, I have blockers for his creatures. And uh, on turn three, I get to play a monitor. And he attacks with one of his exalted elves into the monitor. They trade. And since I have Emery, I can just replay it. Thank you for my card draw. Uh, yes. And after I have redeployed the monitor, I get to play an, a Kappa. And just have a lot of tokens in play. So he never gets through. Uh, I mean, a, a Berserk and something might have been able to kill me at that point but the uh, kappa goes all the way onto the final match i'm up against high tide you might wonder how this will end i have an idea but continue <laughs> game one he forces my chalice i force his turn three high tide then i play an emery and he scrolls for another force of will so i play chalice from the grave via the emery and he forces it pitch forces even and next turn i can do that again yeah, it's not a good look. And it sticks. And that's a scoop. And in game two, I play Chalice. He force. <laughs> and uh, I've seen a fluster storm with one of my baubles. So I don't counter back. I make a construct and luckily draw into another Chalice. <laughs> and he forces again. But I can uh, sack petals for force negation to counter it back. And yeah, 
Chalice does the job very well. Yeah, it's pretty grim from there. Yeah, it's pretty grim. And, like, it felt really good to have four Chalices and then, like, two Arayos, which was sort of extra Chalices when they showed up. Like, it's uh, it's just so brutal. I love it. I love how you sort of said you, you arrived at LGS with a seven-cost deck, <laughs> but... You actually played just Rayo Stompy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in four games. Eight cast. What's that? That's old news. This is six chalice. <laughs> yeah. A little bit pity that I didn't get to play against Initiative. I mean, in one sense, it, it was lucky because it might have robbed me of that beautiful 4 0. But I was interested to see how that matchup was because I have a lot of blockers. I have a lot of creatures to steal the Initiative mm-hmm, back. Mm-hmm. I have Life Link with the Shadow Spear. I think I should be in decent position, but I'm not sure without testing. You definitely have the biggest creatures as well. Like your constructs are massive. And sure, they do have, uh, like your chalices aren't great. You probably board out the Ryo because they have caverns. But mm. like besides that, you're just packing so much firepower. Yeah. That, like, uh, yeah, you're really going to put pressure on their swords to plowshares and solitudes. Yeah. I, I think it should be an a interesting matchup, not, if nothing else. Sai must be so brutal if they don't find Caracas. Yeah, very strong. So deck felt great. I'm not playing it next Thursday. <laughs> I'm anticipating more cards in the sideboard. But like also these color combinations have a really tough time against 8-cast, I think. No red decks faced during those four matches and no meltdowns. and all. That scary things that is in people's sideboard was just... Not there. A lot of the decks you played against have a real dependency on one mana spells like Shadow, Infect, mm. and uh, High Tide are all yeah. Yeah, so, was, you know... Perfect matchups <laughs> for me. Yeah, but like it's nice, nicely navigated. Yeah, it was fun. Well played indeed. It's been 11 episodes since the Basic Land Connoisseur panel gathered for a discussion, so it's high time indeed. Since we last talked about Basic Lands on this here podcast, a new deck has emerged, and wow, is it winning! Even though this archetype is fresh, still under development somehow, and might even be banned to oblivion at some point sooner or later, we will sit down and determine the proper planes to sleeve up in Mono White Initiative Stompy. Who wants to go first? All right, I can go first. So I have this recurring theme when it comes to monocolored decks that doesn't play fetches. And that is that you don't need easy to find lands. And thus you have an opportunity to play your full art basics, which I think don't fit very well together with duels. That is my sort of philosophy behind this. And when it comes to like those little bit wonky full art basics, one of my favorites are the Unglued series. So this one is number 84. Christopher Rush has painted it. It has a big frame, uh, which is looks like it's wooden or perhaps sandy. 
really sure about the material. Some some maybe rune inscriptions for the tap symbol and uh, for the plains mana symbol, uh, white mana symbol. And then there's just this sort of a little bit windy, wild plains on a highland somewhere. It feels like you can see a little bit of mountains in the background and the clouds are quite low in the picture. So it feels like you are up on a plateau or something like that. It's a nice piece of art and uh, I really like this frame when it comes to this kind of lands, this kind of decks that would play a number of basic lands to accompany Ancient Tomb and City of Traitors and all of that. I think this fits very well in that collection. What do you guys think? I think this is a like first of all really nice art. Like I I do enjoy Christopher Rush quite a bit, and I I do also agree with the whole you know if you're playing a monocolored deck that doesn't run fetches, you do have some extra space to spice your your lands up a bit. I think the frame here like it it was one of the earlier earliest. Maybe even the earliest. I can't remember which was earlier between this or uh, Unhinged. I think this is older, but don't quote me on that. I think it's a solid choice. You know, it's it's also with the with a tap symbol up on the top of the card. It's also a bit quirky, which I kind of think goes well with this you know initiative deck that's you know trying. It's doing new things, just like this this land series did at the time. So I think it's a good choice. Yeah, I mean, I like it for the same reasons, basically. I also think that, I mean, the Monobite Initiative deck does play a suite of, you know, unusual lands. It's it's the full sort of eight soul lands, four caverns or three caverns, Caracas, Eganjo, Seat of the Empire. All of these lands differentiate themselves in the art in between them. And for some of these, you can also find interesting promos, interesting alternate art. So if you really want to go heavy into sort of explorative art on your lands, because you're not restricted to fetches and jewels, this is a deck very similar to Dutton Taxes, in which you can do this. You can really sort of which of my favorite arts do I want to play here? Because it's not going to sort of quote match anyway. Mm. You can as well just go wild and just go for the art that you like, and it's going to look nice on the board. So, yeah. So, uh, Christopher, what's your pick? I also picked Planes by Christopher Rush. And this is from Ice Age number 364. On this picture, you see some really nice colored clouds on a very blue sky. They're just right behind a mountain with a green field in front of it. So you get the plains, you get the good vibes of a plains, but you also get the mountain where some orcs might live. For me, when I think about fantasy and orcs, I think about the Ice Age orcs in, in, in like the quirky kind, the kind that you kind of, if you've seen those pictures like Orcish Lumberjack or what is that? Is it or, no, Orcish Settler might be older, but there's a lot of really good orcs in that set. Orcish Spy is one. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Orcish Farmer. If you haven't seen the art on Orcish Farmer, look it up. It's like this proud uh, orc just, I don't know, flexing next to, to its pig. It's great. But for me, this is a, you know, super calming picture to look at. And the initiative isn't, you know, calming at all, right? It's a, an extremely fast and volatile 
tactic. It's trying to do massive damage to the opponent really quick and in a really unfair way. So the reason why I like this is just to be nostalgic over orcs, which just happened to be the best card in the initiative deck as well, White Plume Adventurer, which is an orc. So this is more like a shout out to the orc tribal, because I think the deck would not really have two legs to stand on without the White Plume Adventurer. So this is an homage to orcs in Magic. What do you guys think? No, I love this. I actually, when looking for proper art for this, I wanted to go down the same route because I love how Magic has always been... Um, and of co- again, uh, this is Wizards of the Coast. They also produce uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Traditionally, orcs have been, you know, evil or have been uh, malicious, and they were in D and D for the longest time as well. But these days, canon is that orcs are just like any other race in Dungeons and Dragons. You can play them, you can interact with them. They can be sort of high nobility as well as farmers or whatever. I wanted to pay homage to that because I think it's it's a nice. 21st century interpretation of the orc which puts it outside of a trope which sort of fits in the Lord of the Rings but sort of otherwise is quite unnecessary so I wanted to go down the orc route I I didn't however so I'm very glad that you did because I was just thinking when before you started talking when this art just is up on our on our board in front of us is that it's a very role play type of planes like, you can really go for a Dungeons & Dragons adventure in this planes. I mean, Baldur's Gate is a Dungeons & Dragons expansion, so I think it fits really well. I mean, the clouds, the reddish, yellowy clouds in this picture is just... Mm, I love that. Peachy. Very peachy. Yeah, and, like, I, I also like the reasoning behind this, and I was also thinking about finding a, a land for an orc did not find any fitting land for an orc this was much better than any of the other, other lands that i came across i was also looking for a plains with like an opening to a dungeon stompy plains but i did not find that either so i went with my full art art instead but so th- this one is cool you were talking about that it's a part of a panorama somehow coupled with other planes yeah before before we started recording uh, this is like a, a panoramic scene so uh, if you look at all of the normal planes from ice age so not the snow covered one or maybe the snow covered one as well maybe that's like the far end of the panorama but it gradually becomes more snowy so n- now i have to check that out later but to hark back on what robin talked about if you listeners know a planes that does have that dungeon opening do hit us up i think there is in the boulder's gate commander there is this planes that depicts a city which could be interpreted as sort of the city above the undercity the over city <laughs> yeah no man that's sort of i mean there are many undercities of course i wanted to sort of is there any world of warcraft undercity type of sort of planes i could find but sort of it, it was a long shot i want to say though staying with ice age and orcs for a moment i mean the art and the orcs that you have there i mean you forgot to mention orcish librarian <laughs> in our closed uh, backroom discord i i sent some of my favorite bangers <laughs> oh wow okay so check out the really the good orcish... audio going on right now <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because like this is you have orcish librarian by phil foglio an, an orc that eats library paste and the, this card is one and a red for a one one orc red and tap 
Take the top eight cards of your library. Remove four of them at random from the game. Put mm-hmm. the remaining four on top of your library in any order. Wow. It's just a fantastic effect. It's like, when would you use this? And then you have you have Orcish Squatters by Richard Kane Ferguson. Super interesting abstract sort of winter landscape orcs. It has this wall of text. I'm not going to go down that road. Mm-hmm. You have Orcish Healer. Orcish Lamjak, Orcish Farmer, the Orcish Mine, Orcish Conscripts, which is just this extremely silly by Douglas Schuler, orcs with funny hats, who sort of, uh, I think, harkens to the Lost Vikings somehow, because there are three weird hats. One is a Viking hat, one is a sort of a kid's toy hat, and one is just a fucking, like, pasta drainer (laughs) up on top of the head of a short orc. We don't get this art anymore in Magic Gathering. So, if you have a spare time, listener, go check out the ice age works because this is this is truly something yeah and there were like a lot of heavy hitters there as well douglas schuler which has been on this uh, land connoisseur panel a couple of times uh, with the basics that he created make no mistake dan fraser made the uh, orcish farmer <laughs> and fraser has made so many like iconic cards like mox diamond and stuff like that i think orcish farmer the art is so good yeah, I love nice it. One. Like it's like a proud pig dad just standing there squatting and you know the ability is just target land becomes a swamp until its controllers untap step or something like that. It's <laughs> like I love it. So yeah, Victor, do you have a basic to share with us? I do, and I went for Secret Lair eleven ninety. By Mark Poole and Post Malone. (laughs) (laughs) So Post Malone got to do a secret layer series of basics in which the art is made by, sort of, well, this one is by Mark Poole and then Post Malone has scribbled in the text box. (laughs) Here we have a bunch of hearts, a smiley and a butterfly and some more hearts. (laughs) I picked this because on the one hand, it's just eternally stupid, as is sort of the initiative mechanism right it's just sort of you print sort of these couple of cards and it just breaks legacy fucking all formats i guess what the hell like we did eldrassi winter we've done these a couple of times we have underworld breach i mean and these sort of these play design mistakes just keep on happening because it seems i mean people have theorized that Watsi had this idea that initiative was not going to be as powerful as, for example, the monarchy. So we better attach it to some really powerful creatures, just in case. Yeah. And you're like, sure, wow. The, the key phrase there is they don't test for eternal formats that these cards will be legal for. That's the that's the magic phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean, I, I can sort of if they were, and I guess they are in a way, like they're open with that. This is this sort of this is a mechanic for a f- commander type of format. Blah blah blah. Sure, that's your biggest market. Uh, I can sort of on a theoretical level, I can respect sort of that decision and have to like it, but I can see how it sort of would make sense. But it's just stupid, and this card is also just plain stupid like why is this post malone person who is super famous in the u.s and completely unknown 
for the, to the rest of the world. I mean, I have no idea who this guy is, but he's apparently extremely big. It's uh, one of the biggest rappers in the world, so yeah. it's uh, it's not unknown outside the US. I listened to Post Malone quite a bit. Yeah, same even here. Before I think it's more magic. unknown. <laughs> unknown to Metalhead Victor, yes. maybe. But, I mean, uh, even made a banger song called Sunflower in uh, the Spider-Verse movie. A very good movie, I have to say. Very good movie. Quite a good song as well, I think you guys however the art for this picture is lovely like this is mark pool doing things that sort of goes i would say outside what i would refer to as the mark pool comfort zone this is sort of a more of a it's it's a it's a landscape but it has these flying sort of high elven platforms with spires of gold it has this tower in the foreground with blue paneled windows with lots of sort of i think it's star constellations in there a big fuck off hawk painted on the outside at the bottom of this tower some nice woodlands super high mountains in the background again very dungeons and dragons high fantasy sort of let's go here with our big fuck off magic swords and just vanquish demons and Again, this is sort of the initiative deck is the Dungeons and Dragons deck. And I think it fits sort of both both angles of the deck that it's sort of a good deck, interesting lore wise, but also that it's just stupid. So yeah, what do you think? I mean I, I like this. If if you if you put your hand in front of the scribbles and just look at the art, it's it's a really nice looking sort of civil planes. I mean, a lot of the planes have some sort of uh, human city or buildings in it. The white, the color white in magic is sort of the the human color in one sense. So th- that's that's a given. And I think it's really cool looking and a very like cool fantasy. And I also like that sort of, I'm not sure if it's painted on like the hawk, if it's painted on the tower or if it's some sort of magical. Yeah, like or some sort of protective sigil or maybe it's a spell that makes these islands float. We we don't know. Right, right. It's looking really cool, and I like the like the colors. I like the the purple on the windows, the purple and blue on the windows. And like if if you then like, like let's go to the like the box where the text should be. <laughs> a lot of the rappers they are like shooting at each other. But like this is a rapper that plays magic, and <laughs> when he's going to scribble on a magic card, it's butterflies and a smiley and a couple of hearts. I think it's really cute, actually. Yeah, I would play. I would play these planes. I like it. What about you, Christopher? Yeah, uh, I I agree a, a lot about what you said. I think most rappers just shoot bars at each other, but <laughs> you know, there's uh, some misconception there. <laughs> but what I really like about this, because I think this art is really great, actually, and the main reason for that is it's kind of like the whole floating islands aspect of Ursa Saga that is so nostalgic to me. This is kind of like a reimagining of that with the floating isles somewhere you might think that this is like these are aircrafts or something but the when you see it you're like no it's definitely magic involved i think i just think like the whole composition and everything what what's lacking in a lot of planes art for me that this captures is that mysticism the the magic of white in magic the gathering and this is a beautiful example of how you can like implement that into artwork without you know 
this is a part of Gravnica <laughs> or like you know stuff like that this its whole own separate thing like are there mages that lives here are there angels that lives here like we don't know all we know is it's a beautiful art and the mechanisms behind this we'll never know maybe and I I just I love it it's kind of like the adventure that Victor was talking about. And this is another pit stop in that great adventure where you have to resolve some issue or talk to someone important. Good choice. And that is all we have for this episode. If you have actually played the initiative menace and think we are full of crap, you are most welcome to share your choice of basics in our Discord server. You can find the link in this episode description. In addition to the Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at STHLM Legacy. Also personally present on social media Robin where can people shout at you about Post Malone <laughs> you can shout at me on Twitter I am at Jacka underscore Bo you can find me on Twitter at MonolithMTG and I am on the same platform still under Disco Drogo and that is the end of the 76th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report thank you Robin Sensen and Christopher Wikström I am Victor Bernhards Special thanks to you for listening and The Great Furnace has, as always, written our music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. Until our next episode, remember that you are free to sleep up whatever the fuck you want.